situation in southern New Jersey is such that we have two and a half million people that live um, south of 195 in our area, and we have among PCA, Presbyterian Reformed churches, we have uh, less than 900 communing members of our churches. We have eight churches. We have uh, two mission churches, church plants, which is Mercy Hill and New City Fellowship. And so the idea is that we love math, but the math that we really like is multiplication. And so we like to see multiplication of disciples of Jesus and people living in their community for Christ and seeing God at work. And so when Pastor Santo said, hey, would you come in and fill in for me? I didn't even take the minute to figure out where are you going to go and what are you going to be doing. I said, absolutely, I would love to be there and I'd love to be a part of what God is doing here at New City. I've been actually, I like to consider myself a friend of New City. I've been here for six years. I was a youth pastor for five at Covenant Presbyterian in Cherry Hill. And we brought the first ever youth mission team to, to Atlantic City. And that team from Covenant has continued to come even without me. I don't know why they keep coming without me, but they do anyway. And so we're glad that they come, and we're glad for the ministry that's going on right here in Atlantic City. What a great location we have. God has given us to worship together in a great day. Let me share with you from God's Word. It's from Judges chapter 6, beginning with verse 36, and we'll read through verse 40. And out of respect for God's Word, let me ask that we would all stand. We stand out of reverence and respect. This is the Word of the Lord to us. Here it is. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all of the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time make the fleece dry in the ground covered with dew. And that night God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So the idea of our message today is how do we know what God wants us to do? Have you ever found yourself in a difficult decision trying to find out, well, should I buy this or that? You know, like when I go to the grocery store and you go and you're looking for a soda to bring to a party, right? You're, you're looking and there's, should I get Pepsi or Cherry Pepsi or Diet Cherry Pepsi or like caffeine-free, not-diet Cherry Pepsi or should I get Coke, or what, I, I stand in the aisle of the grocery store for minutes trying to make a decision on what should take seconds. And I, I know I'm not alone. And I know I'm not alone because here, Gideon is trying to figure out what does God want him to do. And so it's kind of a, a common thing, a popular thing. People will say, well, if you're trying to figure out what God wants you to do, what you need to do is throw out a fleece. And this is what Gideon has done. He says, God, I'm going to test and see what you want me to do. So I'm going to put this fleece out, and if you really want to save Israel by my hand, what you're going to do is make that fleece wet and all the ground dry. 
And so that happens. So you think, all right, Gideon, that's what God wants you to do. Go do it. He says, wait, wait, one more time, God. Um, let's just be sure, you know? All right, let's do it this way. Now make the fleece dry and all the ground wet. And the Lord does it. Fantastic. Gideon, get to work. Right? Have you ever put out a fleece trying to figure out what does God want from you? I've put out a fleece. I put out a fleece several years ago when I was trying to decide where to go to school. I had already committed to go to one college. I had sent in my deposit. I was ready to go. I was excited. But then I visited another school, and I was pretty convinced. I think God wants me to go here. But all right, God, if you want me to go here, I need several things to happen, right? First of all, I need to get accepted. It's already past deadlines. I'm already late. This is not going to happen. Secondly, I need to get my money back for the deposit I sent to the other school. And then I'm going to need to get a scholarship. And then, oh, in all of this, I need my parents not to freak out on me. God, if you do all of that, then I will know this is what you want me to do, and then I can go do it. And all those things happened. Wow, God, this is what you want me to do. So I went to that school, and I thank God for Covenant College, where I wound up going to school. I think in some ways, had I not gone there, I would not be standing here preaching today. God worked in a powerful way in my life. But we say we put out a fleece to try and figure out what God wants us to do. That comes right here from Judges 6. A fleece is trying to learn the will of God by the means of a predetermined sign. And it's always predetermined by us, isn't it? Right? All right, God. Here's what I want you to do for me so that I know what you want me to do for you. So scratch my back and then I'll scratch yours. It's kind of the way it works. You know, a lot of us put out this fleece and say, this is how we determine what God's will is. Now maybe from my story of how I decided where I was going to go to school, you've already picked up on a little bit of the problem with throwing out a fleece. Sometimes we do determine, okay, God answered all of my requests Does that mean that's exactly what God wants me to do? We can take action in it and we can see what's going on. But what happens, the problem is that putting out a fleece like Gideon did, and even like I've done, and I've seen some shaking heads, which means I'm not the only one who's done this, shows our weakness. It shows our inability to trust God at his word and to do what he tells us to do. That we say, you know what, God, your word's not enough. What I need is you to do something else, and then I will know this is what you have for me to do. So instead of walking by faith, we look for a sign before we take a step in God's will. This is not seeking to follow God, but seeking to cover my rear end. Right? This is how God describes our problem. God describes the problem of humanity. Now, why do we have violence in our streets? Why do we have racial tensions going on around our country? Why are there issues, even this last week, with the guy who walked up behind the reporters on live television and killed him in cold blood? The way that God answers the problem is that the problem is not guns. The problem is not racial oppression or or tensions or bad government, all of these are symptoms of the problem. 
But the problem, as God says, is that we, his creatures, do not trust him at his word. Just have a little brief history of this, because where we are in Judges is a pivotal moment in the history of God's working in the world as we look at this text. I'm sorry, let me give you my outline here quick. We're going to see the problem is that we don't trust God to take him at his word. Right, And then God gives us also a sign of God's promise. He gives us his son to show us what he's doing and what he wants us to do. And finally, we have a reminder of the prize of faith. When we walk in God's way, we have the prize of faith. And so, the problem, the promise, and the prize. Start with the problem that we do not trust God at his word. It's found throughout human history. It goes all the way back to the beginning. In the beginning of the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, God lays out how he created the world. He created the universe, and he created Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman. And he set them in the garden, and he told them what they were to do. He said they were to tend to the garden. They were to fill it and subdue it, to multiply, and to have dominion over the earth. And things were going well until the serpent asked the woman, did God really say that? What does God really want you to do? Now here's what you should do. Why don't you take this fruit and take a bite of it and then you'll gain wisdom and so you'll know what God wants you to do. And by taking that bite and taking that little bit of here now I can be equal with God and have wisdom and determine what he wants me to do, humanity fell into rebellion and sin. And as a consequence of that sin, the Bible tells us, we have violence and we have oppression. We have separation from God. We have tension in our families. We have drug addiction We have all sorts of evils that come with being broken from our God. Come with being broken in a broken system and a broken world. The problem is that we do not trust God at his word. Well, it wasn't just in Genesis, Adam and Eve. The story goes on even as God is acting justly and kicking people out of his paradise for disobeying him. God offers a promise. He says, one day there's going to come an heir of Eve, a son of Eve who's going to come, who's going to fulfill this promise. He's going to crush the serpent's head. And he's going to make a way for us to come back to God again. He's going to make a way for us to know what God wants us to do. He's going to make a way for us to have peace and reconciliation and hope in our lives. And so the rest of the story of Genesis is the story of how God begins to unfold that promise through a family, through a man named Abram, who was an idol maker. And he says, stop making idols and start following me. He doesn't say, here's the sign. He just says, let's go. And Abraham goes. And then through Abram, the story goes on. And Genesis ends with the story of Abram's great-grandson, Joseph. Joseph was chosen by God out of many of his brothers. And his brothers were jealous, and they sold him into into slavery but God delivered him through dreams out of slavery to be Pharaoh's right hand man and you think well what does all this mean well famine came upon the land and God's people were starving 
And they needed to be saved. And so they went to Egypt to see, because Egypt had this food. And it just so happened that God had raised Joseph up. And he was able to look at his brothers who sold him in slavery and he said, you meant that for evil, but God used it for good. The story of Joseph continues into Exodus, the second book of the Bible. In Exodus, Joseph and the people of Israel are living in Egypt, out of the promised land. And they're doing very well. They're multiplying. They're working hard. They're filling the earth and subduing it as God had commanded. They're doing what God wanted them to do. Eventually, Joseph dies. And another Pharaoh comes into power. Someone who didn't know Joseph. And he's jealous of what God's people are doing. And what does he do? He puts them in slavery. He puts them in slavery. And for 400 years, the people of God cry out, God, deliver us. Help us. What do you want from us? So God gives them Moses. Moses, born in Egypt, when Pharaoh is slaughtering firstborn Israelite children, rescued by his mother and his sister, adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, grows up and remembers and learns God's plan for him. And he rejects the riches of Egypt. And he's driven from Egypt where then God says, I want you to rescue my people. Moses goes back. Moses rescues the people through God's working and brings them out. Moses receives the law of God where God says, here are my commandments. Here's how I want you to live. This is how to do it. And then Moses isn't perfect either. Moses gets angry. Moses strikes a rock trying to force God's hand. And so Moses is not allowed to enter into the promised land. Moses' right-hand man, Joshua, enters the people of God into the promised land. Joshua leads them in, and they are commanded to conquer the entire land, to have dominion over the promised land. And they separate into the various 12 tribes, and they have various amount of success and various amount of effort toward this end. And what winds up happening is that they don't all conquer the land as God had commanded. They leave some of the, the other peoples in the land. And those peoples wind up oppressing the Israelites. And then Joshua dies. And the book of Judges begins this way. In those days, there was no king. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So when we get into the context of Gideon, everyone's trying to figure out what does God want me to do? And nobody has a clue. But the thing is, the reason they don't have a clue is not because God hasn't told them. God has clearly said what he wants for his people to do. Gideon knew what God wanted. It's clear. In Judges 6, verse 36, Gideon asks, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised... And then verse 37 says, Then I will know you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. As you have said. Gideon knows what God wants him to do. Because if you read the chapter of Judges 6, and if you have a Bible in front of you, you can look at verse 14. And in verse 14, let me give you a little context of what's going on. These people, the Midianites, were one of the peoples that hated God, that God had commanded to be exterminated, that their time had come, and the people of Israel did not do it. 
And as a result, they wind up oppressing the people of Israel. Oppressing them so much that the people of Israel cannot plant crops. They are driven into the mountains to hide for their lives. And they have to plant and do their things at night when they won't get caught. And there's constructing of idols called to Baal, not God, Yahweh. And so God comes to Gideon through his angel, his messenger, and says, in verse 14, the Lord turned to him and says, Go in this strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? It's kind of ironic, this strength that you have, because if you look at Gideon, Gideon continues and says, Wait, wait, wait. I'm not strong. My clan's the weakest in Manasseh, the weakest in my tribe, and I'm the weakest in my family. How You can't use me. There's got to be someone else. This strength that you have. What strength is it? The strength that we have in our life to overcome our oppressors, to overcome the sin that keeps us down is the strength that the Lord gives us. And yet so often we don't see it. And so what do we do? We don't trust God at his word. And we say, God, if you do this, then I'll believe you. God says, I've already done it. I've already done it. Trust me. Believe me. Now, we look at this text and how Gideon throws out the fleece and God answers. And you say, well, there you go. It's in the Bible. I can do it too. Now, we've got to see a dis- difference between descriptive and prescriptive things in the Bible, right? A descriptive situation would be like, I go to the doctor because I have a cough. And I say, doctor, I have a cough. I'm not feeling very well. I'm describing a situation. A prescriptive action would be the doctor says, you have the flu. And he writes out for me a prescription. And he tells me to go take this medicine and I'll get better. Prescriptive is, do this. I want you to do this. Now, is Gideon a descriptive narrative or is it a prescriptive narrative? Does God command that we go out and lay out a fleece? Oh, this is showing God's grace even in our doubts. As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy 7, the Bible tells us a prescriptive command that you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And Jesus, when he is in the wilderness and Satan comes to tempt him and says, listen, have a host of angels come and deliver you. He says, it is written, and he's referencing Deuteronomy, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. That is a prescriptive command for us. We shall not put the Lord our God to the test. We shall trust and take God at his word. Yet, we are such skeptics, aren't we? We don't take the Lord at his word. Here in Judges, God told Gideon, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the other gods in the land, but you have not obeyed my voice. And even as God commands Gideon to be the one that would deliver Israel from Midian, he tells them, Judges 6, verse 25 and 26, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has. Cut down the Asherah that is beside it. And instead, build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here, with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you have cut down. 
God is clearly giving him specific instructions of what he wants him to do. And you read verse 27, it says, Gideon and his friends were afraid, so instead of doing it during the daytime, they did it at night when nobody would catch them. The next day, though, what happens when you do stuff at night? Girls, you know it, right? You do something at night, your parents are asleep. What happens? They're going to wake up. They wake up in the morning and you're caught. They wake up the next morning and they're saying, where is this Gideon who did this? We know who did it. Where is it? All right, well, the problem is that we don't take God at his word. Gideon is a man of faith. Hebrews 11 lists him as one of the heroes of faith. But when we look at the story of Gideon, we're not supposed to see Gideon as a hero. Actually, Julie and I, our son is here, and we named him Eben. Uh, Eben comes from 1 Samuel 7. It means Ebenezer, which is a stone of help. What happened was the people of Israel were being oppressed again. And through the prophet Samuel, God gave them deliverance. And so they built a stone pillar, and they said, this is our Ebenezer. This reminds us that God, um, the Lord, our God, has helped us thus far. And as we were considering names for Eben, we thought about Gideon, and Julie really liked it, and I liked it until we started reading about it more, and I said, I don't want to name him Gideon. Gideon didn't trust God. I'd rather name him Ebenezer, as weird as that name might be, because it's a reminder of God's help for him and for us continually. The problem is we don't take God at his word and we don't trust him. See, if you make that a pattern of your life, it's not a sign of strength of like, I threw out a fleece and God answered me. And then I threw out another one and God answered me. Listen, I have done this again and again and again in my life. And God answers and God provides. But it's not because I've thrown out the right sign. It's because God is gracious and God is kind. And God condescends to me in my weakness. Because of the promise of God is great. The promise of God is not in our act of faithfulness or in our amazing sign asking, but it's that God sent his only son to walk in our place. That Jesus Christ is our fleece, if you will. You want to know what God wants you to do? Look at Jesus Christ. See, what does Jesus say about signs and wonders? You'll find in the Bible, like Matthew 12, 38 and 39, Pharisees ask Jesus for a miraculous sign, and he says, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign. Think about that. Demanding a miraculous sign from God is not a sign that you have a strong faith. It's a sign that you're not taking God at his word. It's a cover for an unbelieving heart in, in the case of the Pharisees. And in Matthew 16, Jesus repeats his words that the Jewish leaders come asking for a sign from heaven. He says, a wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. That is the sign of history. He's saying, I already told you what you need to know about what God can do. I already told you what God wants you to do. Why do you come asking for something extra? See, when you know God's will, you're supposed to do it. End of sentence. Go and do. The sign of Jonah. Go to Nineveh. What's he do? Run to Tarshish. Where's he wind up? In trouble. In the belly of a fish, and he winds up getting spit out at Tarshish. Winds up where God wants you to go anyway. Gideon keeps doubting God, keeps doubting God, but what does he wind up doing? Ultimately, God has him raise up an army, 
and then lower it down to 300 and conquer the Midianites. Not on his strength, but on the Lord's strength. And yet God knows that we're weak and that we need proof. And God condescends to us. Think about the disciple Thomas. You know his story. Thomas wasn't there when Jesus appeared to the disciples after he rose from the dead. And Thomas said, I I can't believe it. Until I see him, I won't believe it. And then Jesus appears to him and he says, Here, touch my arms, touch my side, touch my feet. And when Jesus does that and Thomas sees him, what does Thomas say? Thomas says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Now the biography of Thomas would go on from that point that he was such a skeptic, but as the Lord appeared to him, he wound up taking the gospel to Asia and to India. And about a month ago, I was preaching at a church in North Jersey and a family, I met a family and they trace their family faith back to the church that Thomas founded in India. Here a guy who was skeptical and said I need proof was given proof and turned his life to serving God. Jesus gives him the word to share. And so Hebrews 1 declares to us this, Jesus is our fleece. Jesus is the sign that we need. Hebrews 1 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he's appointed the heir of all things, through whom he has also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, an exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for our sin, including the sin of not taking God at his word, He sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Jesus is our fleece. He's the one. He is the proof of what God wants us to do. And here's what God wants from us. Jesus says we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And the law and the prophets is talking about all the Bible. The Old Testament Uh, The New Testament, the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Torah, and the prophets, and the law. Here's how it says we are to live. We are to live righteously. We are to have, to live righteously means that you have a right to be in God's presence. Right? Simply. Uh, Isaiah 1, 16 and 17 says, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. Here's an example of what righteousness looks like. Seek justice. Cease doing evil and start learning to do good. Learn to do good in following Christ. Correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Righteousness, having a right to stand before God. Holiness, walking before God without blemish. Deuteronomy 7 verse 6 says, You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the people on the face of the earth. To walk in holiness, set apart for God. To walk in justice, to do what God declares is right. Micah 6 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice 
and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Righteousness, holiness, justice. On our own, we don't have these qualities. These are qualities Jesus gives us. Jesus is the righteous one who never broke God's law and instead has earned the right to stand before God. And he stands there and he pleads for you and he pleads for me. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus is the Holy One that's set apart for God's purposes. Primary purpose is to redeem lost, doubtful, skeptical sinners like me and you who want to look for extra signs to figure out what God is clearly calling us to do. Jesus is the Holy One that stands in our place. Jesus is the just one that does what is right by defending the weak and needy and punishing the wicked. And Jesus' favorite way to punish the wicked is to draw them to trust in him and make them his friends. To take the punishment on himself and to call us to trust him at his word and to be his friends. Do you see the contrast? We can keep looking for signs and be part of a wicked and perverse generation. Or we can look to Jesus as our fleece. We can trust that he's the sign that God loves us and is for us. And we go from being enemy of God to being friend of God. To being confused and uncertain to having a certain future and a certain hope. Because the promise of God, Jesus says, He who believes in me shall not die, but will live. God's commands. God also wants us to be transformed, to be made like Christ. Romans 12, Paul writes and says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may test and approve what God's will is. It's holy, pleasing, and perfect will. Testing God's will doesn't mean throw out a fleece and tell me what you want to do. Testing and approving God's will means we walk by faith in Christ and he leads us to where we are conformed into the image of Christ and made like him and so that we gain the prize. The problem is we don't take God as word. The promise is that Jesus is God's word to us. He is our sign of God's promise. And then the prize is that by walking in faith in Jesus, we get to walk in his place of righteousness. We get to stand before God unashamed, not by anything that we've done, but by the grace of God given to us through Jesus. The amazing truth of the gospel, it always strikes me as this. My past doesn't matter anymore, but my future can matter forever. Christ has died for me, and now the life I live is not my own, but I live through Christ. And the promise that God has for us, Paul writes in Philippians and says this, He who began a good work in you will not stop until it is completed. And when Paul writes in Romans 8 this theological treatise about how God saves us and what God's plan is for us, he starts with he who he justifies, those who are made right with God because Jesus stood in your place and took your sin and your shame and gives you his righteousness. He also will sanctify. He will wash you and cleanse you. And you'll go through trial, but he's purifying you and making you holy and making you righteous through the blood of Jesus. And he will also glorify. It's a sure thing. Christ has done it. And as we persevere in faith, we will have the prize. 
But the prize is not made through testing God. The prize is not gained through doubting God. The prize is gained through trusting that Jesus is enough. The prize is gained through taking God at his word and walking by faith and allowing him to lead us. That's the safe way in life. There's some dangers. What are the dangers of throwing a fleece out? I'm going to mention three dangers. One is that fleecing often leads to more uncertainty and more confusion. For example, Brock and Kelly were always friends, but they'd never really been romantically interested in one another. Until one, in, one day, Brock started to think he had feelings for Kelly. And so Brock was at a prayer retreat, and he knew that she was coming to visit in a few days, and so he decided to say, Well, God, if I'm supposed to date Kelly... I need you to help me see a deer while I'm out here in the woods. And it's so beautiful. And there's lots of deer. So God's going to let me see a deer, right? Well, through that whole weekend, he saw zero deer. Okay, I can be at peace. I'm not supposed to date Kelly. But on the way home, he was pulling off his exit. And as he's sitting there waiting for the light to turn green, in a very busy populated area, a deer walked by. Uh Uh-oh. What am I supposed to do? Brock got together with Kelly. Kelly, God gave me a sign. I'm supposed to date you. Well, Brock, I'm not interested in you. I don't want to date you. But God gave me a sign. He didn't give me a sign. That's your problem. Right? If we try and find God's will by any way other than what God has clearly given us in his word... We are setting us up for confusion and for heartache. Secondly is, don't try and manipulate God. Throwing out a fleece is a way of manipulating God. Dear God, I want to serve you, but I want you to do X, Y, and Z for me first. So if I win the lottery, and then I get to have a really awesome vacation, and then I'll come back and serve you with the rest of my life. That's not how it works, right? Actually, God tells us how it's supposed to work. We're supposed to love God with all of our being because he has already first loved us. He has already given us Christ. He has already bled and given his life because he knows you by name. He knows every hair on your head. He cares for you. He's calling you to trust him, to take him at his word and to seek him first. Now, is it always wrong to ask for a sign? No, it's not wrong to think about guidance in your life, right? God, help me to make a wise decision, to use your sanctified common sense to figure out where the Lord is leading you. And how are we supposed to figure out what we're supposed to do? Well, the Bible tells us, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever you do, do it as for the Lord and not for men. So when we have a decision to make, what should guide us should not be what's going to make me the most money, what's going to make me the most temporarily happy, what's going to get me around the most attractive people, or what's going to bring me fame and influence. The idea that guides a Christian, that should guide us is, Jesus gave himself for me. He's my fleece and my sign. What is going to bring him the most influence and the most glory? What is going to bring the most hope to the people around me, because of Christ. And whatever decision you make, 
You can trust that if you're seeking Christ, that's God's will for you. And that the Lord is in it for you. And what about my college decision? Not only did I pull out that fleece and he gave it to me, but I followed that fleece and it happened to be the will of God. But what if you followed the fleece and it wasn't, and it led you down the road of heartbreak and anguish and torment? Is God against you? You see the problem in this? What we need to do is to see that God has given us the ultimate fleece. All we need to do to know what the Lord wants from us is to look to Christ. Jesus Christ is God's Son that was given to seek us and to save us. There's no way he will not also deliver us, according to his promise, into the prize that he's purchased for us. So what is it God wants from you? He wants simple faith. This this word from Solomon, from Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. This is a wonderful verse to memorize. Commit it for your life. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. So there will be no more thrown out of fleece because you're standing at a fork in the road not knowing which way to go. God will make your path straight and will continually make it clear the direction he has for you to go. The direction he has for you to go is to love the Lord your God with all of your being, to love your neighbor as yourself, and to walk by faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you that you have given us the answers and that it is right here in your word for us to find. And yet, God, so many times we do find these difficult situations, trying to figure out what job we should take, or where we should live, or who we should date or marry, or who our friends should be. And it's so easy for us to to be tempted to say, did God really say? But Lord, return us again and again to simple faith. The Lord has said, and the Lord has promised good to me, His word, my hope, secures. Lord, our hope is secured by your word through your son, Jesus Christ, through his life, through his death on the cross, through his resurrection to give us new life. And God, help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to walk in faith in Jesus. We pray. Amen. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Brent Kilman, Assistant Pastor at Mercy Hill Presbyterian Church. New City's Sunday Sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Santa Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New City's Sunday Sermon.